Boaz had gone up to the gate on there, and behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took one of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and to Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have brought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house, like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Father in heaven, uh, we ask you to speak to us. Father, uh, we know that you are, um, you, you claim all through uh, the scriptures and your people have always found you to be a, you, you like to communicate. So please communicate. Make yourself clear. And Father, I pray that you will make us a people uh, who, so, who are so uh, transformed by your mercy that we would want to give you all that we are without reservation and that that would be our joy and we pray this in jesus name amen amen please be seated uh, and if you would turn back to that ruth reading that first reading there's uh, that's where we're going to focus and here's the question that i want to ask today um, it's this, uh, what does the redemption of God look like in the bitter land? Now, it may sound like a little bit of an odd question, although if you've been with us as we've gone through uh, Ruth, it echoes some of the earlier questions, but here's why I ask the question like that. Um, the book of Ruth, uh, where that first reading is an excerpt from a, uh, the, the larger story of Ruth, now, the book of Ruth is uh, about two women who are experiencing the bitterness of life in some pretty profound ways. Uh, so if you've been with us, you know that it all starts with this woman called Naomi. And Naomi uh, is uh, married and she's got two uh, sons. She's living in Israel, but then uh, famine hits. 
And because of the famine, they're, they're economically uh, uh, pressured, and they uh, go into exile in a country called Moab. Moab is not a friendly nation to Israel. And there in Moab, uh, her husband dies, and then her two sons die, and Naomi is left alone. At least she's almost left alone. She's, she's, the only one she's got with her is uh, her in-law, a woman called Ruth, who's from Moab. And you remember the story, the two trek back to Israel because the uh, famine has ended. But when they get back to Israel, when they get back to, their, to Naomi's hometown, Bethlehem, they are desperate. And they are bereaved and just the wheels of life have come off. They're living in the bitter land. And so their question, uh, understandably, is, is there any redemption for them when life lands you in the midst of the bitter land? Now, that's the question that is uh, pressing upon Naomi and Ruth, but it's a driving and urgent question for all of us as well. Um, you may not frame it in terms of the word redemption. That's maybe not a word that most of us use every day. Uh, but all of us are in need of redemption at some point, are we not? And I say that with confidence because uh, as beautiful as life is, and life is beautiful a lot of the time, but as beautiful as life is, it is also bitter. Uh, life kicks us in the teeth. Uh, for Ruth and Naomi, life kicked them in the teeth uh, uh, in terms of health of their family, uh, financially, economically, personally, it kicked them in the teeth. And, and you know something of what that's like. Life has kicked you in the teeth, hasn't it? And if it hasn't, it will. And when it does, and when you are walking through the bitter land, you will need to know the answer to the question, is there any redemption in the bitter land? Now, this little excerpt, strange as it is, uh, is a little story of redemption. And here's why it's important for us. This little story little of redemption story. is designed to help you and me grasp a much larger story of redemption. Uh, this is a little reading about an economic redemption, a family redemption in, you know, Iron Age, ancient Israel. However, this little story of redemption helps us grasp God's big plan of redemption. Uh, and his plan for redemption encompasses the whole world in your life. And not only that, this little story of redemption is going to teach us something about how God wants to use me and you in the redemption of other people. God wants to use you and me in the uh, story of redemption as kind of agents or ambassadors of redemption in the lives of the people in our family, in the lives of uh, people at your workplace, in your industries, in your family, in your neighborhood, in our city, all over the place. We are to be not only recipients of redemption, we are to be agents of redemption. And there's, this is a little story that gives us some insight in that. So here's what I want to show you. Redemption is a reversal. Number two, re redemption is a reversal at great cost. And number three, redemption is a reversal at great cost that fulfills 
God's word. Let me show you what I mean. First of all, redemption is a reversal. Take a look at the, the reading on page 7. It says this, Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. This is the city gate. And behold, that means, check this out, this is important. Last chapter, and Clint preached on this uh, last week, so go and listen to it. The night right before this scene that we're reading, Ruth comes to Boaz in the middle of the night and, long story short, basically asks him to marry her. And Boaz is really open to the idea, but there's a problem. And to explain the problem, I need to explain a little bit about the Old Testament Mosaic law. Look at verse one. Do you see that word redeemer? A redeemer or a family redeemer, it was somebody who was designated in the family. And the, re the family redeemer's job was to intervene if somebody in the family or some portion of the family experienced. So for instance, uh, if somebody in a family was murdered, it would be the family redeemer's role to find the murderer and bring the murderer to justice. Or if somebody in the family um, uh, fell into slavery, it would be the family redeemer's role to search out that person and arrange and buy back that person's freedom. Or, and this is very important for this context, if a portion of the family fell into poverty, and they had to sell their land. That's important. The family redeemer was supposed to intervene, buy the property, and then hold it in trust until the family could get back on their feet and uh, the heir in the family could take possession again. The point is, the family redeemer was supposed to be uh, ready to intervene and reverse the economic uh, calamity or the injustice that somebody in the family experiences. Now, let me just pause here and point this out. God's law in the Hebrew scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, God's law was designed so that patterns of redemption were supposed to, so to speak, be baked into the structures and the systems of the society. It's very intentional. And it's important, at least for this reason, because it gives us an insight into what God is like. And it gives us an insight into what God values. He values redemption. And he teaches us what redemption looks like in a family and economic context. And it's also important because that theme, that, that, that uh, value for redemption of reversing calamity is uh, central to what it is that makes God's law good and his word so good. Okay, but here's the problem. It wasn't working that well for Naomi and Ruth. And I say that because they had been back in Israel for months by this point, and yet despite the fact that Naomi and Ruth had been back in the town for months, and despite the fact that Naomi's uh, husband, Naomi and her husband, had a field that is not being utilized, and despite the fact that Naomi has family in town, nevertheless, no redeemer has stepped up and intervened on their behalf. Now, Boaz is almost but not quite a family redeemer. He's second in line. There's another family redeemer that had the legal obligation and also the uh, legal privilege to uh, intervene on behalf of Naomi. Now, all that is backstory for why it is that when Boaz 
gets up in the morning after Ruth has proposed to him in the evening, in the, in the middle of the night, Boaz calls court to order. So he goes to the city gate. The city gate is where uh, legal proceedings happened. And uh, he finds the uh, first in line would-be family redeemer and says, hey, guy, come here sit down here, and then he calls together 10 uh, elders of the city because he wants this to be a legally binding interaction. Boaz is determined, he's focused on uh, that the intervention, that the reversal, that the redemption required by the law of the Lord, he wants to make sure that that actually happens. And so verse 3, Boaz tells the family redeemer basically this. He says, listen, uh, would-be family redeemer, he says basically, hey, Naomi and her family, um, they had some land, Elimelech, the husband, uh, the two sons, they've all died. Naomi now needs somebody to take care of the land. And through taking care of the land, she needs you or somebody to provide for her. And Boaz says, hey, man, come on. You're the uh, family redeemer. Uh, step up or step aside because I'm next in line. And right away, do you see verse 4? The would-be family redeemer says, sure, done. I'll take the field and I'll take care of Naomi. Sounds good. In other words, at this point, he agrees to redeem Naomi economically and to reverse her economic calamity. He was going to take responsibility for the field, cultivate the field, use the proceeds to care for Naomi, and so forth. Redemption is the reversal of calamity. But here's the thing. Redemption is the reversal of calamity and it always comes at a cost. Go to verse 5. But then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. That's in a really important line. Then the Redeemer said, Whoa, well, that's not in there, but... I cannot redeem it for myself, backpedal, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself. I cannot redeem it. How many times does he say he won't do it? Okay, why the backpedal? Put yourself in the mind of this would-be family redeemer. If he redeems Naomi, what he, 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 it's a, he thinks it's a good deal, okay? Uh, what happens is he gets her field, all the property. He needs to care for an elderly woman to make sure she has a retirement. But she has no uh, living children. And normally, the family redeemer would take care of the field in trust until the heir comes of age, and then the family redeemer would give the field to that heir of the family. But the thing is, Naomi's kids are dead. There's no heir which means that the family redeemer is going to be able to, he thinks, keep the land once Naomi dies. Real estate investment for the family redeemer. Of course he goes for it. But then, right then, and Boaz is not a little sneaky here, okay? He holds back some very important information, okay? He's a negotiator. Right then, Boaz mentions Ruth. And Ruth changes the situation. Why? Well, moral testament law. There was an Old Testament law that said that if a woman is married to a man and the man dies with no children, 
the, that man's brother, this is going to sound weird, that man's brother was meant to marry the widow, and the children of that union would be, would be counted as heirs of the original man and his property. Now, that sounds odd, but part of the point was it was a law to ensure that widows could be cared for and that family lines didn't die out. And again, it's all part of the theme about how God wove redemption right into the fabric of Israelite society. God wanted a plan of redemption that included widows. He wanted a plan of redemption that even included continuing the line of deceased husbands. Now, keep that in your mind and go back to Boaz, because now Boaz tells the would-be family redeemer about Ruth. And the idea is that when this would-be family redeemer takes over the land, uh, he also needs to marry Ruth. And any children of his union with Ruth is going to be counted as descendants of Elimelech and Naomi. And therefore, when those kids grow up, the would-be family redeemer has to give them their land. Now, that's what it meant for somebody to be the family redeemer. And the family redeemer thought it was a great real estate investment until he found out about Ruth, because now he finds out that if he goes through with this, he's going to not just get a field, he has to reorient his entire life around marrying Ruth, raising children, they won't be considered his, the, uh, then he has to work a field, all the investment that goes into uh, working a field in addition to the ones he presumably already has, and all the work that he puts into this new additional field will eventually not go to him he, he, it'll go to the surrogate kids that aren't yet born. Do you see the cost? He's being asked to reorient his entire life for years to come in ways that he cannot anticipate so that some kids who have not yet been born can gain an inheritance based upon his hard work. And that's a redemption that's too costly for him. And so he backs out. And I wonder in our gospel reading, take it and read it again. When Jesus says, sell your possessions and give to the poor and then come and follow me. And Jesus says that to the young ruler. It says, because he loved him. But it was too costly. And just like the young, rich young ruler says, no, that cost is too great. So this would be family redeemer backs out. But as he backs out, Boaz steps up. And Boaz shows us what a real family redeemer looks like. Because listen, Boaz could have avoided this whole thing. He could have easily argued, hey, I am too far removed. This is not my issue. I am not legally obligated to step into and deal with this. But the thing about Boaz is that Boaz had internalized God's vision for redemption. God's vision for redemption was not just dormant upon the pages of his Bible. God's vision for redemption was not just uh, at distance and theoretical in the character of a deity he didn't know that well. The God's vision for redemption was something that had landed upon his heart and that had come to animate his being. And therefore, Boaz knows that God displays his loving kindness through redeeming his people. And Boaz wants to reflect that loving kindness 
and therefore he kind of joyfully takes responsibility for Naomi's field and, and takes responsibility for Naomi's retirement. But in taking responsibility for the field, he also joyfully takes Ruth to be her, his wife. And he fully commits his life and his family's future and his legacy to redeeming not just a field, but Ruth and all the generations that come later. What I want you to see is that Boaz makes a whole life investment in this thing. It's costly. Redemption always is. But do you notice also that Boaz is not begrudging this, right? The first would-be family redeemer totally begrudging the whole thing. Eh, no. Okay, but not Boaz. Boaz is motivated, man. He gets up in the morning. There is a joyful kind of urgency going on, right? He finds the 10 folks. He gathers them. at it, Like, you get the sense that all this is happening at about 9.15. And I expect that part of it is that he wants to marry Ruth, right? Clearly, he admires Ruth. Clearly, he loves Ruth. But it's important that we see that there's more going on here than a romance. Boaz loved God's law. And everything that Boaz does throughout this entire book is marked by a careful, insightful desire to fulfill God's law and to fulfill it with precision and with joy. So when you remember when Boaz first meets Ruth in the field, Ruth is destitute. She's a foreigner. There's all kinds of reasons that Boaz doesn't want to have any, wouldn't, might not want anything to do with her, but that's not what Boaz does. No, he reorganizes his entire business plan for that harvest season so that Ruth can harvest and that the law of the Lord can be fulfilled. And then later when Ruth, the night before this scene, when Ruth comes to him in the middle of the night, there's all kinds of sexual tension and questions about what's going to happen here in the middle of the night. But Boaz acts with integrity. He wants to follow God's law with precision. And the same's happening here. He insists that either the family redeemer fulfills God's law, and if he won't, Boaz will. And I, wanna, I want to point all this out, Emmanuel, to say that Boaz can see that God's law, his word, is shot through with loving kindness and redemption, and it has compelled his life and transformed him. And I want to know, can you see what it is that Boaz saw in the Bible? Because it's easy for us to imagine that the Bible is, you know, burdensome or restrictive or out of date or whatever the case may be. Just not very compelling. But, but the reality is that all through the Bible, God shows us his steadfast love, his loving kindness, by opening a path for redemption that addresses the very deepest bitterness of this world. And when you see that redemption, and when you uh, find yourself to be a beneficiary of that redemption, then you'll see why it is that Boaz treasured the Bible, and why he was willing to fulfill it at cost, and to fulfill it at cost with joy. And not, not and yet there's more. Look at, the, look at the impact that Boaz's obedience made. Look at the difference it makes for Ruth. So all through this story, all through the book that bears her name, uh, Ruth is a Moabite. And they are not the friends of Israel. And her status is super low. She's an immigrant. No rights. All of those sorts of things. 
Even in the beginning of this, uh, of, of chapter four, she's called Ruth the Moabite. But look at her status at the end. Verse 11, the elders of Bethlehem gather and they say, then all the people who are at the gate and the elders said this, we are witnesses. May the Lord grant this woman, meaning Ruth, who is coming into your house, make her like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. Ruth begins as a foreigner and an immigrant. She ends up as a mother of Israel. Can you see the reversal, the redemption that Boaz's obedience achieves. Don't ever minimize the cosmic significance of ordinary obedience. But the reversal is bigger because Ruth and Boaz have a child and one of their descendants is Jesus Christ. And just like both Boaz and Ruth, Jesus obeys God's word and fulfills it perfectly. And his obedience is costly. Boaz, it you know, obedience cost Boaz the reorientation of his life. Uh, obedience cause, cost Jesus his life to the point of death. And yet the greater the cost, the greater the reversal, the greater the cost and the greater the redemption. And Jesus' obedience and the cost of his life, all that purchased redemption, not on a small scale, but on a cosmic scale. Uh, Ruth's redemption meant that she went from being an immigrant to being the mother of Israel and the mother of the Lord eventually. But the redemption that Jesus gives us takes us from being alienated from God to being reconciled to God in such a way that we become heirs with Christ of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is God's son by rights, but he transfers that status to us so that we, so to speak, inherit the fields of God. All that he has becomes ours. Friends, that redemption and that reversal is what gives us, is what God gives us right in the midst of the, it addresses the deepest bitterness of our lives. And here's the thing, not only does God give us that big redemption and that transformation of our status and our identity and our future and our legacy, all of that is reversed. Not only does God give us that, but when we become beneficiaries of that, he commissions us to be ambassadors of it for others. We get to be like Boaz. We get to fulfill God's word with joy and obedience. And as we obey God's word with all of its costs, and do not let me, do not hear anything other than, it will be costly. Anticipate the cost. But do not forget the joy. And as we get to uh, obey God's word, because we are beneficiaries of that redemption, we get to be ambassadors of redemption in our families and in our workplaces, in our industries. Go home and pray about what would redemption look like in the midst of your industry. Isn't that exciting? We get to promote cultures of redemption, beginning here in the midst of this congregation, but then emanating outward into all the particularities of our life outside this place. That's the privilege of being beneficiaries and agents of God's redemption. It'll be costly. When Jesus calls us to follow him, he tells us to give up everything for him. He gave up everything for us. But just like Boaz, the cost is worth it. Boaz never regretted his obedience. 
and serving God as first in a beneficiary and then an agent of redemption is a great privilege. So pursue it despite the cost. And as we do, we get to watch as God reverses and redeems our lives with eternal implications and also the lives of those around us. And as that story unfolds, we will see the beauty of God. Amen? Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.